Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is the leading go-to resource for people who are learning to communicate about their sexual health. Uh, one of the things that we do is we advocate for the integration of people's lived experiences post having an SCI diagnosis into sex education resources as a means of aiding SCI prevention efforts. If you have not already, please visit www.spfpp.org survey and take the survey. We are bringing this information in to understand your experience with antivirals, stigma, dating, disclosure, as well as uh, partners and transmission, as well as uh, just the whole dating and relationship experience that you might be having as someone who has tested positive for herpes. Something to note is that if you click the survey from the website, there's going to be a tiny blue box on the right side of your screen, like you will barely see it. Press that and then it'll take you to the consent form and you'll be able to begin the survey. A lot of people were having issues with this. Um, I apologize, it's something that we are unable to get resolved. Uh, most people will see that if you're trying to take the survey from a mobile device, all right? Uh, so today I have a guest with us. Uh, I don't think I asked you like what you wanna be called or if you wanna remain anonymous. You can't, I have no reason to say your name. I'm gonna go with that. Okay. Bet. Bet it is. Bet. So, you said you got herpes about a year ago? About a year and a half ago. A year and a half ago. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was diagnosed about a year and a half ago. Okay. Yeah. And you and I connected. <laughs> I was actually looking at this. Um, and I forget. What, what did I say? Somebody replied to something? I started replying to your stuff. And it was because you used Canva That's to create right. a, a poster or a post or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, interesting, because I guess I didn't even know, like, your backstory about your diagnosis. Because, yeah, I always get people, um, like, who follow me on Instagram. I don't necessarily assume that everyone who follows me has herpes. And then uh, I don't even know if this is, like, the first time it came up. Do we even have conversations about herpes at all? No, I think I just made comments on the stuff that you said. And I'm sure whatever I commented to kind of give you like a hint, like, oh, okay, cool. She's one of us. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I guess like for you, um, you said it was about a year and a half ago that you were diagnosed. Mm -hmm. uh, do you remember what was going on for you around that time? I, yeah, I mean, I drink a lot, but it's not that much. <laughs> um, I do remember it. Uh, I was seeing this guy... Um, I'm, I'm, I identify as polyamorous. Um, and I was seeing this guy. Say it proud. You said it low. Like, I, I identify. As no, 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 no. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. goddamn proud of it. Like, hell no. It's taken me years to get to this point. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very, very happy to have discovered, um, my true relationship style. Let's put yeah. it that way. Um, it's been a long time coming. Like, I, I feel like I was practicing it already. From a very early age, I just didn't know what the hell it was. Mm. What do you mean by that? Um, I've never been able to be very devout in relationships and anything like that. Um, always had wandering eyes to some capacity. Like, always experienced a lot of love or care for whoever I was with. But it was never enough. Yeah. You know? So I always... Like, my relation, my longest relationship before my ex-fiance was probably, like, eight months. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, I never had anything serious 
So when you say you kind of been practicing polyamory, I think that you had juggled multiple relationships, but you were still, even in your polyamory practice, you were monogamous Mono- in the sense of not having sex with other people. But right. were you, well, monogamish. Okay, monogamish. What, yeah. do you, what do you mean by that? Like in your experience? So there was still a lot of flirting and like a lot of maybe make out with people and stuff like that, but I would never push it past that if I was committed yeah air quotes committed to somebody yeah that's funny because like i remember in high school college if you kiss somebody that was cheating right i never really (laughs) saw it that way really i never did i thought that was silly i mean like there's nothing better than being able to kiss your friends like everybody that i i hang out with for the most part at home we all say hello to each other with a kiss like we pop kiss each other god i haven't used that term in ages (sighs) And you're also, you're not, what, what is your ethnicity, if you want to go into all of that? Oh, um, I mean, I was born in Cuba. We emigrated over when I was eight years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that just like a culture thing, that you kiss your friends? No. Oh. No, not at all. Because we'll kiss our friends. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, no this is a, a new thing for, not a new thing, but it's a thing for me. Yeah. I've always been that way. Mm-hmm. I've had... A, there's just some friends that it just happens. Like, you're just like, oh, hey, this is a show of affection or something, you know? Uh, okay. But now it's a lot more common yeah. for me. Okay. Because um, it doesn't, it's not that it doesn't mean anything. It just, it it's no harm. Mm-hmm. Like, what it means is significantly different than what people might assume it means. Correct. Got it. All right, and you say that now you're in this place of being polyamorous and, like, this is who you are, Mm. Uh, and you were about to tell me about the herpes story. Yeah, so I was dating this guy, and everything was going great. Um, He he did help me realize through it that I also had a stigma that was very, very negative, which makes no sense because I'm also a sex worker, but the stigma was he dated... his His baby mama was a stripper, and... Once I got diagnosed, the most negative thought that went through my head was, oh, it was probably him because he dated a stripper. Oh, okay. And I realized, like, through all of this and learning and growing up and everything, I'm like, that was the most toxic. I Like, I acknowledge the amount of toxicity that was in that statement, you know? Well, let's not call it toxic. It's stigma. It, okay. I mean... I felt it was toxic to me to mm-hmm. think of something like that as an open, sexually open and, like... Um, queer person but it 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 wasn't a long lasting thought but it just I kind of felt shame feeling that way or that thought crossed my mind in the first place Mm -hmm. at this time were you in sex work at all no okay so at this time it was just like oh he's dating a stripper he gave me herpes most likely this of course this was going to happen like those were kind of some of the thoughts right Okay. But at that time, it's kind of like a panic. Like, you don't know what's happening. You don't know what's going on. Um, like, you're doing the good work and working towards destigmatizing all of this. But because the reason I felt all of this is because of the stigma, yeah. the social and economical stigma behind it, you know? So I, I get, I, I found out after going to the emergency room because mm-hmm. it was so much pain. I had a, uh, uh, I had a, genital outbreak and where was it external or internal external okay um it was in the for lack of a better way of saying it in the gooch Mm -hmm. 
is that very small little area. So it's like such a funny word to me. <laughs> like I tried gooch, to keep the straight face. I tried to keep no, the it's face. okay. The gooch is a fun word. Yeah. Um, but it was in that area and I'd never felt pain like that. And obviously it's right where the skin folds all the time. And so it was really, really, really fucking painful. And I was like, I can't, I just, I, something's wrong. Yeah. So I go to the emergency room and they have me laying down in the bed. Like they put me in a room. Thankfully, it's not like one of those Curtains. curtain ones. It was an actual room. And the doctor comes in and she checks me out and she's like, I think you have herpes. And I'm like, what? Like my mood just dropped into like cynicism and cold, like just cold speaking, like just monotone, just like, oh, great. Fuck. One more thing I needed kind of thing. Right. And then something else that happened, and I'm very happy that I am the kind of person that I am, that I can just put aside what is I'm feeling emotionally just to get through that moment, and I can power through and then think about it later. But she goes ahead and she grabs another doctor to come and confirm it. And so now I have three people around me when I'm being diagnosed with herpes. And they're just like looking at your vulva. My fucking hoo-ha yeah just talking about it yeah as if you're not there right and like she's putting her like spreading my spaces apart and everything to kind of see what blisters were there or whatever and i'm just like cool all right well this is happening and once they were like okay well we're done with this diagnosis we're gonna give you these pills we're gonna give you this gel it was like um oh they gave you a gel they gave me a numbing gel Oh, that's nice. I know. I wish I had that numbing gel for a lot of other things. Yeah, yeah. It would have been great for tattoos. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't be able to do that then, right? Like, because you, you want the skin to be disinfected, and then you do the ink, right? No, it's fine. Oh. It still permeates. Okay. I, I did it on my chest piece. Like, I put numbing cream on it, mm -hmm. and it lasted all of an hour mm -hmm. because the tattoo artists keep wiping. So it's exposing those pores even more, and so letting all of that numbing cream out. So <laughs> an hour in, I'm like, well, oh, okay. here's the pain. <laughs> <laughs> I um, did this to myself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like they're like, oh, I, I do remember this specifically. Um, they're like, oh, uh, we're going to let you be so you can clean up. What, is, what like, does that mean? So you can put your clothes oh, back on. Oh, all right. I was like, stuff. it made a mess? No, no, no. So all you can right. put your clothes back on and all that stuff. And uh, there was the nurse, this guy, and he comes back to me and he gives me like, uh, I think it was like Tylenol or some, some pain med mm -hmm. to be able to take. And he mentioned something and I was like, yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm just here sitting with a new herpes diagnosis that I didn't even know I had. Great. Fantastic. Like, just straight, cold sarcasm. Like, hate my fucking life right now. Um, then he leaves, I get dressed, and I get my, all my prescriptions and stuff. And I just felt like I was in shock. I was just in shock. My house is a block and a half away from the hospital, so thankfully I, I was just able to go home. But I remember getting home and just sitting down on my couch and being like, well, my life is over. Like, that's it. Purely out of stigma. Like, I didn't really know. I've had friends. I had. I already had friends within my groups that had herpes. And I knew. And they were very open about it. And uh, 
but I never actually looked into it. I never asked them. I didn't think anything of them. You know, it didn't change my outlook on them. I still thought they were hot. And I was like, fuck yeah, you know. And then I was diagnosed and it was all freaking crazy. And then... So I told the... Um, I texted the guy that I was with and I was like, hey, I need to talk to you. And Ooh. suddenly he just started acting dismissive yeah. in a way. He was like, oh, I'm doing this and this. And like the messages started getting lesser and lesser and stuff like that. And I didn't get to talk to him until like a week later. And I was like, hey, we should meet up today. I think I called him. And he was in the shower. And I was like, hey, why don't we go meet up somewhere? I'd really like to talk to you. And he's like, well, I'm about to jump in the shower, but just tell me what's up. And I'm like, no, no, no. I really think this is something we should do face to face, right? He knew. Well, so I tell him and he's like, it's okay. It's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. I'm like, oh, cool. All right. So I was relieved. I was like, oh, all right. He didn't treat me like... Oh, so you, okay, so your thought process was, oh, yay, he didn't, like, yell at me or assume that I gave it to him. Or, yeah, like, it wasn't like, oh, that's gross or anything like that, right? And um, then he just basically slowly ghosted me. Ooh, a slow ghost. Mm -hmm. That's a zombie. Mm Mm-hmm. Jesus. Yep. And I was like, you're a real piece of work. I went to town on him. Like, I sent him a really, really nasty, like, go fuck yourself kind of text. Yeah. Because I was like, really? Like, I'm going through something, and the first thing you're going to do is bounce? I've met your goddamn kid, bro. Yeah. Like, I, I deserve a modicum of respect, you know? Mm-hmm. So whatever that was over, I was like, he's probably the one who gave it to me. But when I went to my gynecologist, she's the one that really started kind of informing me more of things, right? She was like, Let's, let's, uh, let's issue the test. Although I do have to tell you that it's about 50% accurate. That's why people don't like doctors don't like recommending it and all that good stuff. Right. Um, but she was like, yeah, you, you have herpes. And I'm like, well, how, how do I know who gave it to me? She's like, well, we can do a test that can tell you if it's a recent transmission or if it's been in your bloodstream for like forever now. Right. So I was convinced that it was this dude. Or the guy before him. Like, it was either one of them. Because I didn't know that the breakouts can happen whenever. I didn't know that it was a sporadic thing. Again, I was not educated. Um, so, took the test, and it turns out that it had been in my bloodstream for freaking ages. And I mean, Like, you got a high viral load uh, antibody count test or something? I don't remember what it was. Okay. Um, I can probably pull it up in my medical record app, but... Yeah. <laughs> But it was one, she called me back and she was like, yeah, you, you've had it in your bloodstream for a while okay. or something like that. So I guess something <laughs> just triggered it, um, finally and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, never talked to the dude again and I'm the better off for it. He was, he was the type of person who didn't have any, any like didn't have any goals for his life. Oh, okay. That Tell kind of thing. More. Like didn't have just didn't have any motivation to do anything with themselves. Mm-hmm. You know. So, what that's an I didn't lose anything. Okay. Any sleep over that one. Yeah. Um 
He's the one that I sent you a screenshot of the text messages that he came back. I remember that. It was that guy. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. okay wait, actually, we should probably, I should probably mention let's, this. Let's do He that. came at me saying that he was mad at me because I probably got herpes from being with other people because I wasn't monogamous with him and that it was my fault kind of thing. You you remember the texts, right? I remember yeah. WhatsApp because they were they were WhatsApp texts. No, no, right? they were just regular texts. Oh, I forgot you got an Android. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be downing the Android I'm community, not, man. Not. We're still cool. Our cameras, our cameras are better. Yeah, I can keep your phones. For, I mean, look, we're recording on an Android. Like there you go. See, <laughs> see, I've had this phone for years, like pre-pandemic phone. Man, the way that we say that now. I know. When I we know. were younger, we used to keep phones. For BP. You know how you say BC. Now it's BP. BP. Before pandemic. Before pandemic. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, this dude blamed me because I was not monogamous with him. And he was mad that I didn't just like want to settle down with him or anything. Mind you, nothing that he ever communicated with me. Like these are all things that he could literally have sat down, have a conversation with me and said, hey, I'm interested in being a little bit more involved. Or like have a much stronger relationship or what like turn it into a relationship and i would have been like mm, no so relationship is a trigger word for a lot of people really yeah when we think about like how dating and relationships are today i think that you have to be a very strong emotionally you have to be an emotionally strong person because the cycle of dating, like where people are constantly getting ghosted, you have to protect yourself. And in a way, you sort of callous your emotions and you become emotionally unavailable just so that you can survive and getting a little hint of your needs met in the dating world. Uh, a friend of mine, he always says dating is dead. And I really do believe that like it's got to do with that. Because you've got people who ghost, you've got people who are exercising other options, you've got people who aren't upfront with their intentions, some people who don't know what their intentions are. And if you're constantly, you know, going on dates and finding yourself in these like patterns or whatever, or even when you initiate a conversation or uh, you're intentional about wanting a relationship, that might scare the shit out of somebody. And they're like, oh my God, I, I, I don't know what I want. And I, uh, and they get into this like panic state. Uh, so I say all of that just to say like dating A is hard and two, like the emotional just toll that it takes. Mm -hmm. You got to become a very strong and resilient person. I actually have something I can piggyback off of on that. Go. go uh, so as I mentioned earlier, I was born in Cuba. Mm -hmm. so I was raised Cuban, um, which not to down Cuban culture or anything like that, but like most Hispanic cultures, it's very male oriented. It's very male dominated. Dominated. Or, yeah. Okay. It's a uh, misogynistic. It's the woman has her place in the kitchen kind of thing. Um, the, well, the woman the runs the household with the kids. Right. Yeah. Um, and she's got a, roles that she has to fulfill for the man. Right. So my current partner which is so weird to even call them my partner because that's a trigger word for me. See? Like, boyfriend and girlfriend are trigger words for me. Like, it just means, like... Commitment. Commitment. Mm -hmm. Right. Accountability. Responsibility to somebody. Right. Yep. Um, it's, it's like you've now not sold your soul to the devil, but, like, you are now somebody's property. You're now an employee of 
love someone. Right. So when he and I first started dating, um, we became like officially partners. Please don't say his name on accident. No, I won't. All right. And like <laughs> um, a couple of weeks after that official. Who initiated the conversation about the relationship? About what it was? Yeah. Oh, no, we just started calling each other partners okay. in front of each other. That was kind of like the confirmation. So it just like smooth went into mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, oh, no, I don't think we're dating any longer. I think we're like official kind yeah. of in each other's spaces more often than not kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, still poly and all that stuff. That was, that was something we did initiate. Like I initiated a conversation about let's figure out what this is. Mm-hmm. I'm poly. Um, he was like, wow, I've been wanting to be poly my entire life. That's always that same similar sense. Like I've been gearing up towards that kind of lifestyle. And how old are you? I'm 32. And how, what's his age range? Well, he turns 50 this year. Okay. Yeah. Um, but he was super down for not super down, but he was very, very like into the openness and the ability to explore and not feel bogged down by the social constructs of relationships by explore do you mean have sex with other people yeah and still be able to enjoy other people and their presence and whether it be sexual or not and not have to worry about the consequences of any of that as long as communication's in place you know it, it makes me happy to hear you say that because i do believe that people hear polyamorous and they think sex you know for the most part yes that is a part of it but i'm also figuring out and you and i had a conversation about this that like in a monogamous relationship, an emotional connection or being too close to somebody is threatening to a partner. Like, even if you have a friendship with someone that you're not attracted to at all, but you just know each other, you get each other, your significant other might think that that person's attractive to you. And they're like, well, what else is going on? Oh my God, this person's going to leave me. So what I've found is that in non-monogamy, polyamory, just the ability for sex to be on the table allows even those relationships where sex isn't involved to be uh to have much more depth to them oh yeah without it being threatening to someone that you are having sex with 100 percent. yeah um i totally agree um but to keep going on the piggyback on the piggyback uh so like a few weeks after we had officially like had the sit down communication and had a wonderful time doing that. Um, it started kind of tapping me on the shoulder aggressively. Like shit, you're somebody's partner. Like the cultural upbringing in me started saying, you have to provide, you have to provide. And like you, you or you, him, me, me to him. Like as the woman, I was taught that I am to provide sex whenever they want it regardless of whether I want it or not like it is my duty as a woman to my man to fulfill that right as a partner so it really started getting into my head to the point that it was driving me insane and I ended up breaking up with him oh oh I didn't see that coming yeah because it was, it, this sounds so healthy and... I know well I mean it's a, it's been a process like yeah, it's a yeah. it's a growing thing so I broke up with him that was weird and uh, I was supposed to go to a party, a birthday party with him the next day. And I asked him after... You I broke, broke up with him before his birthday? You No, not his birthday. Oh, all right. <laughs> One of his friend's birthdays. It was like a costume party. All right, all right. Um, <laughs> God damn it, Courtney. 
<laughs> so I told him, I guess he was in a state of shock, so he wasn't really thinking about it. So I asked him, like, do you still want me to go to that party tomorrow? I have no quarrels with it, and I'd love to be with you. Like, I'd love to still hang with you, you know? The friendship was still there. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. And then we got fucked up at the bar. As one does. <laughs> yeah, started making out? No. Oh, what? No, no, legit. He went home, I went my own way. Oh. Yeah. So, so this is like a respectful interaction even after a breakup. Yeah. Okay. So, anyway, uh, the next day... Um, I get ready and I'm dressed up in my costume. I was a, a gender bent of the Witcher. Okay. Well, I was dressed as the Witcher. I was dressed as um. God, what's his name? Well, Henry Cavill, basically. Um, and so he sees me walking out into the Uber, and he is just pissed. He is like you can feel his energy. He is fucking mad. And I get in the Uber, and I'm like, "Are you okay?" He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Like, you know, paying me a compliment or anything. Usually he'd be like, holy hell, baby. He'd like, smash you on the butt. Nothing. Damn. But you broke up with him. I know. And he's respecting the relationship. I understand, but he didn't know how to act either. Yeah. To me, it was like, no, we're still friends. We're still cool. Like, we can do everything we were doing already. Like, you just, I'm just not your partner. Oh, kind of didn't even think about that. So y'all are still able to do everything. You just removed the label. Right. And the removal of the label gave you peace. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I think we go all of like two weeks like that. Where I was like, hey, don't you don't need to spend the weekends with me. We were still spending weekends together and like having fun and just hanging out. Like wholesomely hanging out. And I was like, I'm afraid that even like we're not really we're not a thing anymore but i'm afraid that you're spending too much time with me when you could actually be spending time with your friends and people who you care about wow way to downplay like your value and significance in his life no i wasn't doing that i just i felt bad that there's this man who is a wonderful wonderful human being Mm -hmm. who is not he's He's actively choosing to spend time with me. I understand that. Yes. But I also felt selfish about it because I'm no longer like his priority in my eyes. So the removal of the label made you feel like less of a priority. Like I didn't need to be that priority anymore. Okay. Yeah. This is interesting because how often do we do that to ourselves? Like this is sort of a form of self-rejection and like, I'm unworthy of this. You need to give what you're giving to me somewhere else. And that's what it feels like to me. I could be completely wrong. But for this man to want to be with you, want to be around you. And it's just like, this is just like an unconditional love and Mm -hmm. giving. And it's uncomfortable for you to receive it. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. I don't deserve it. Why? Well, that's just my trauma talking. Yeah. That's my self-defense mechanism. That's... You've been in therapy, right? Yeah. I've been okay, going so we can like speak to this. Yeah. And... Okay. Oh, yeah. No, it's entirely Great. based on my trauma. Okay. Um, I, my my trauma is daddy issues. Yeah. Um... <laughs> hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Well, every I feel like I I I'd like to think that most people, if not all people, have some sort of parental trauma. Yeah. Whether it's both parents, one parent, or the other. Um, or the absence of parents. Or the absence of parents. Right. Exactly. That's a big part of it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there's a lot of ways that trauma can can be incurred, unfortunately. You know, I used to think you were a therapist for a while. Me? Or some type of, something in the realm of, like, therapy because of how you've spoken. But then you told me what you do, and I was like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just because I'm very self-aware, and I pay attention to myself, and I see a lot of the same behaviors. Um, Especially now that I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and uh, bipolar disorder. So it's like like what I tell you, BPD squared. Are you comfortable talking more about that? Yeah. No Uh, quarrels. So... You very much seem normal. I know that there's a, a stigma to things and like what normal is, but like I wouldn't know that you were someone who had bipolar or borderline personality disorder. Hmm. How would you know that you're having an episode? Oh, right? okay. How would you know that? A person on the outside wouldn't know mm-hmm. unless you're with me 24 7. Okay. Like Sam knows. Sam picks up the You keys. said his name. Oh, fuck. Whatever. <laughs> it doesn't matter. All right, all right. I... It really doesn't matter. It makes no difference. All right. That's why I said it. I was like, you're going to say his name. You're it's all right. Name. It's really not the end of the world. <laughs> okay. Um, it's not a thing where I need consent or anything all like right, that. All right. It'll be all right. Um, but he he spends a lot of damn time with me. Mm-hmm. He can recognize it. He starts seeing it. Or I communicate. I'm like, this is starting to happen. And he starts taking the necessary precautions. So y'all have that in place. Yeah. So, all right. I The reason that I want to bring this out is because they're, again, like stigma is stigma. And I think that herpes is one expression of stigma that we can all here relate to. But also there's this mental health component as well. I think that we believe we know what a person with herpes looks like and we get herpes and then we're like, oh my God, I'm that person now. Right. Same thing as far as mental health things. We like loosely say someone is bipolar because they have a change in behavior but that may not even be the case like when we talk about bipolar we're talking about uh there's what manic and depressive Mm -hmm. episodes Mm -hmm. right so depression you're low manic you're up hyperactive moving and we falsely allocate these labels to people who it doesn't even apply to correct and we think that because they're like what we may see like i'm in portland oregon and I may see someone that is yelling down a street, like just walking down the street, yelling random things who looks like they might be homeless and assume, oh, they've got mental health stuff, right? So much of the conversations that I have have taught me that you can't look at a person and tell whether or not they have herpes. And then if you talk to someone and you learn that they have herpes, it doesn't change anything. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, I want to be able to bring that same sort of thing into the mental health space just from having a conversation. Cause like, I wouldn't know that you had herpes. I wouldn't know that you had any sort of mental, mental health, health yeah. illness, or I don't even like to say illness, mental health condition. Yeah, yeah that works out. Whichever okay. one. And it's just like, you just take medication and you stay at baseline. Right. So yeah. Um, it's, it's funny now going through therapy, being medicated and diagnosed and all that stuff. It kind of helped me really solidify what was going on mm-hmm. because I, I mean, all the time I was self-medicating. I was, I was a bartender. I was self-medicating a lot. Like I, I, my shifts were four days on three days off and four days of nonstop drinking and three days to recover just to do it all over again. Right. 
when you say self-medicating, can we talk a little bit about the how you use the analogy? That was when I was younger. Oh, okay. Well, we'll go there later. Yeah. Okay. No, it really doesn't make a difference. It, it all connects. Uh-huh. You know, um, my trauma incited that part. So what I'm talking about is essentially I... You and I were talking about this, and it came up on our ways to torture ourselves is a better way to put it, right? Our ways to punish ourselves, right? And um, this is a possibly a trigger warning. Um, yeah, trigger warning. Trigger warning of uh, emotional cutting. Um, well, physical and or emotional cutting. And uh, it you took it me... Physically? Huh? You did it physically? Well, that's what sex was. Oh, 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 I'm, 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 I was talking about the cutting. No, okay. no, no, no. My, my version of cutting, because it is an emotional thing, it's to distract you um, from, from the emotional pain. From the emotional pain that's happening pain. at the moment, right? Yeah. Rather than the physical. So mine was to have sex. Mm-hmm. Like, sex that I didn't even really want to have. I just had one night stands all the freaking time when I was younger. Um, and I didn't recognize it then. That I was doing it as my own form of emotional cutting. So that I didn't have to think about all the other things. You know? Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah. Anyway, so my diagnosis uh, was wonderful. And I got put on meds and I started really realizing what the signs were. It's like, oh. Oh my god. This is what I was doing. And I didn't even realize it. Like I was, there were, the symptoms were all there. I had no idea. I was like, why do I do this? Why, why do I uh, emotionally cut or have no. sex? I mean, that started dying out. Okay. Um, it was more like my behaviors at that point. It was like, why can't I change this? Mm. Why do I keep going around in circles and do this same thing over and over and over again? And it all is a roller coaster. Until I finally got the diagnosis and was like, I was treated. And now I can actually spot it as it's coming. So even though I'm medicated, I'm a lot more mentally here and aware of how my body and mind feel. So the medication helps you be present? Yes. Okay. It also helps me balance out. All right. So the medication brings about the balance of the um, chemical imbalance in your brain. Mm -hmm. My borderline personality disorder is a trauma response. That's not a chemical imbalance. Yeah. So... The only way, to answer your question, the only way you would really know if somebody has a mental health issue is if you're in their brain. Okay. Because it's all internalized for me. What is borderline personality disorder? Um, I like to equate it to, and this is subjective to my experience. That works. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like to equate it to imposter syndrome, where you don't think you really belong anywhere and you don't. You've had to grow up in an environment where you've had to adapt your personality to fit situations. And when you start really delving into it in trauma, at least for me, what's happened is I don't know what my true identity is. I have no idea. No idea. No clue. Still to this day. I struggle significantly with it. My therapist and I talk about it quite often because in my head, I'm this person. But there's certain things that I'm like, who is this? I just, I just click right into it. I find myself in social situations where I'm like, in my head, I'm like, why are you talking this way? Why are you doing this? You don't care for this. This is not you. 
this might be a really good thing to point out. Um, cause I've, I've always felt very lonely in this. Um, I don't know who I am outside of drinking. I, I am not good at going to bars and not drinking mm -hmm. because I feel like I don't have a personality until I start drinking. Mm -hmm. And that's a big part of it. Like, since I don't have an identifying personality mm -hmm. or a core personality, so I think, I, um, I drink when I'm at a bar because that's who I am. I'm the fun person that everybody expects. Yeah. You can keep going. Oh. I was about to take a note. Oh, okay. For when to make the edit. Okay, cool. I was trying to scratch it into my hand and just write 36, but I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I was wondering what you were doing. Yeah, yeah. Your skin bad, isn't that bad. ashy. You're good. It's not. It's not. That's good. That's good for you. Yes. Um. All right. So, and, and I appreciate you explaining the way that you did um, what borderline personality disorder is because... You can Google it and you'll see the definition, but I think that we all use our own words in ways that help us understand things significantly better. And this as a conversation, this like podcast episode conversation that we're having is something that I think um, it's like speaking different languages to different people. Like for me, I know that yeah. I can hear the same thing 10 times from 10 different people and it'll be the 11th person who says it at the right time when I've had the right life experience that matches up to where I can receive the translation. Yeah. That's what this is to me. Oh, because it's it's kind of opening up a, a path for you to understand it a little bit further. Correct. Because we're on the same wavelength yes. now. Like yes. if I would have told you this when I was 24. Wouldn't have got wouldn't it. Wouldn't have, yeah, wouldn't have clicked. I've been looking at you crazy like, oh. <laughs> That's too deep. Just take a drink. <laughs> right. You you just mentioned that you were queer. And mm -hmm. so much of this podcast speaks about identity. You said that borderline personality makes you feel like you don't belong or imposter syndrome. Yet you were able to tell me that you're polyamorous, that you're queer, that you're a sex worker. This sounds to me like you do know who you are or you at least have these aspects of your identity when it revolves around your sexuality at least, can you speak more to that? Do you know who you are sexually? Do you know who you are not sexually? That's interesting. That's actually a really good question. Do I know who I am? Oh, say it again. I love, I love hearing that. What? That that's an interesting uh, question? Yes. It's such a good question. It is. Um, <laughs> because of the word are, like who you are. Mm -hmm. Do I know who I am? No. Do I know what I am capable of doing and behaving in? Yes. Oh, that seems like a much harder question to answer. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Right. Like, I know I am capable of being this polyamorous person because I understand the groundwork. I understand the inner workings. I understand all of that. And I'm able to act upon that. Same thing with being queer. I recognize when I'm attracted to a person. I identify as pansexual. So I, if I'm attracted to you, I'm attracted to you. There's no hidden meaning, science, or anything to it. And the same thing with sex work. I know what I'm capable of. I know what I'm able to swing. I know what sexuality means to me and all of that. But I don't necessarily know. Maybe an outsider would say, oh, they know who they are. You know, but deep down, I don't. Because I have so many different facets. 
You know, I, I am this person who wants to sit at home and play video games all day, but I'm also the same person that wants to go out and be the center of attention like we did at Comic-Con, you know? Or I can also be this person who just wants to go sit alone at the end of a bar and just watch the crowd. That's my, that's actually my favorite thing to do is go to a bar by myself, sit by the bartenders because I'm a woman and I need to feel safe and just people watch. Being alone in a crowd is the most zen thing for me. I'm an extrovert, but with introverted tendencies. And uh, as my like healing journey continues and my mental health journey continues, I come to find out that I'm starting to recognize the moments where I've had too much. It's like, okay, this is too much interaction. This is too much masking, which is a big part of it. It's exhausting. That's a part of like my uh, borderline personality disorder where I mask to get through the situations. It's a trauma response. So sometimes masking can get exhausting. And I, I'm learning more and more how to pull myself from that and excuse myself from the situations and say, hey, this is wonderful. Thank you so much. I do have to step out now and take my time, you know? Um, but that's why I'm saying, like, there's no real way for me to quantify who I am because I don't have a core who I am. It's not having that core of who you are what makes you have borderline personality disorder oh, a little bit yeah okay. um, actually a lot of it oh. yeah because there's no like I said I don't know who I am I don't know which of the 20 personalities that I can portray show mask whatever you want to like identify it as that is my real one so I'm giggling because this you just reminded me of this. Uh, it wasn't a joke, but this joke an ex of mine told me. She was like, it's a good thing you're polyamorous because I have seven different personalities. I laughed for about 10 minutes, like dying. I was like, that is the funniest thing I've ever heard. And then a little bit of time passed and I saw that she wasn't joking. <laughs> all her personalities were not okay with polyamory at all. Oh. And it showed. Um, yeah, that relationship didn't work out, obviously, but <laughs> yeah, it just made me, it just made me think about that. I mean, I, I, I relate. Yeah. I can relate. I, I totally can. I mean, I still to this day have multiple personalities that I have to deal with. Mm -hmm. The struggle for all of this to an outsider is look at her. She's so cool. Or look at her. She's so well put you together. You hella cool. Man, shut up. You know you are though, like I, the leather jacket. You ride motorcycles. I and, and, whatever. And it's just on. I'm the, the biggest hair, dork. The hair, the hair. It's is what all makes the front. So cool. It's all the front for this tiny little child inside me that's hidden in a corner. Like I'm trying to bring this child to who they could have been had they been. You you all right? I'm not a therapist, but it doesn't look like that's what's happening. It looks like that child is playing. Right, I'm pulling that child out. I'm giving that child the childhood. When you the childhood say pulling that child out, it sounds like you're forcing yourself into being this person that it is being received as you being so effortlessly you. What I'm saying is, it look like the kids having fun. I and am... I see it in other people's interactions right. with you. Oh, well. really? Yes, just from like um, 
being even even at the Comic Con, being at the Comic Con, being at the bar, um, and how the bartenders interacted with you, the people that you talked to, like, yeah, that that kid ain't chilling in the corner like sad. Like that kid's playing. That kid might be like do that at night or like when you go to sleep or something. Maybe just finds like solitude going into the corner, and mm-hmm. that's when you're like, come on, we gotta go play. And that's you, you know, until you get your coffee. Like, you get your coffee and then it's like, yay. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely feeding my inner child nowadays. Yeah. You know? Um, <sighs> that's so important. That's going to be the title of the episode. Feeding your inner child. Totally. Oh, I, I love that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to hear a beautiful experience that yeah, I had? Sure. Um, when I took the MSF course, which is the motorcycle course, to get my, um, my endorsement and learn how to ride. I went back like a month or two later because I was in negotiations for my motorcycle, my current motorcycle, and I was going to buy her. And this was weeks after I ever rode on one that I controlled myself. And there I am riding Raven around and trying her out. Do I need to delete that your motorcycle's name is Raven? No. Okay, thank you. Uh, I, <laughs> I'm running out. I'm running out of like no, space to remember No, 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 uh, you're good. <laughs> Um, no, uh, so there I am riding Raven and I am on this stretch of, it was like at a, a racing, a kart racing area where they also do drag racing and all that stuff. So they have a big area, like open space to, to run around basically. Fine. Yeah. So I was able to really like ride her to her full potential. That's what well, I not said. to her full potential because I was not hitting like 90 miles an hour on that, but. No, I can't say that's what she said. It. <laughs> You, you, like, added too many details in there. <laughs> but um, just to close that story out, as I'm writing her and testing her out, I started crying. I started legit crying. And it was because I had come to the realization that, like, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it right now. Like, 19-year-old me would be so proud of me right now for doing something I've wanted to do my entire life. You know, and it's weird. I was... Dude, I was terrified of it all. Like, if he was here with me, like, my partner was here with me, he would tell you how miserable my learning experience was. Because through my trauma, I was supposed to be perfect from the get-go. That's part of the, like, the borderline. Like, whatever I touch, I have to be perfect at. But, um, so it was it was a miserable experience. And I even told them, I was like, this is going to be really funny a few months from now. Because I'm going through this. I'm having panic attacks. Full-on panic attacks. Wanting to slam my goddamn head into the wall and hurt myself. Before I wanted to get on the motorcycle and do what I needed to do to learn. Like, we had... our My first rides, I had to pull over after three blocks and start crying. Because it was overwhelming. It was ridiculous. Like... And now I'm just like, let's go. Let's go on rides. Now it's my... It's the thing I look forward to. Waking up at, like, six in the morning on a Saturday morning just to go on a motorcycle ride for, like, three hours. You know, it's, it's amazing. But yeah, so I was doing that and I started crying because I was so happy. Like, I really started thinking 19-year-old me would have been so proud of me right now. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an out-of-body experience when you kind of see those things happening. And I still have times where I'm like, oh, yo, I did that. Like, I'm doing it. Like, I'm doing this shit, you know? Like, I'm fulfilling things for myself that... I've never been allowed to. I've never been allowed to let go. I've never been allowed to have a true persona. And now I'm starting to discover it. Do I have a true identity? I don't know yet. 
do I, am I a hundred percent cognizant and aware of how other people perceive me? Yes. They perceive what I want to give out. If I'm comfortable enough, I don't care. You're going to see everything. You know, like you've seen so many different sides of me already while we've been here. Make a man. Stop. <laughs> Bruh. Oh, uh, this has been, uh, first off, I want to thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thank course. you. Um, this has been really cool to see, you know, just, um, from what you say, your development of getting to a place where you're the kind of person who can be proud of yourself. You know, like you say, how 19 year old you would have been so proud of you and you got on that motorcycle and every three blocks you had to pull over and just cry because of that right well not not that was i was crying because of the panic attacks from being afraid oh god i thought you were crying because you were happy no oh i heard that wrong <laughs> no i was crying because i was terrified yeah yeah like shaking before i get on the motorcycle terrified mm-hmm. oh yeah it was it was bad well, that makes this even better then because the motorcycle can be a metaphor for putting yourself out there to find a partner after a herpes diagnosis, right? Like it's a scary thing to potentially have to go through and yet we have to get on the motorcycle and ride it enough before we have the confidence to go down the street. You know, maybe we only get three blocks right now. Maybe we make it a little further. Maybe now we get to a place where we can go three hours right. on a motorcycle ride, right? And what that just looks like is, okay, you're going to have to not cry when you say herpes, not be mad at yourself, not have regrets for getting herpes, whatever that means, uh, for not sleeping with that person that you think might have gave it to you, for not making whatever decision you think you made to get to that point. And you do those things, and that's you literally... Um, or that's you metaphorically getting to a place of being able to ride the motorcycle. But, like, you're not going to be able to go on a three-hour ride right away if you can't right. even start the motorcycle. Right. You're not going to find your wife or husband or partner if you're unwilling to do the thing that is, you know, saying, hey, I have herpes. And then be willing to deal with whatever the response is to that. Like, I don't think a lot of people really um, think that. I think that everybody has been conditioned to have this sort of instant gratification, like even on the dating apps. You know, you swipe right on somebody that you find attractive and you expect for one of those people you swiped on to match with you and go on a date with you and to give some up, you know what I'm saying, and get to a point of it getting to what you want. Um, and that happens a lot sooner now with a lot less effort than something like practicing getting on a motorcycle would. So we have to apply that same sort of like knowledge and experience that we have in another thing that we've done and that we've gotten good at or practice and we failed at and we got better at, but we were committed to apply that to <clears throat> putting yourself out there into uh, finding the kind of relationships that it is that you want. I rode the shit out of that motorcycle yeah. metaphor, didn't yeah. I? <laughs> yeah, you, you definitely uh, decided to run with it Yeah. at like 80 miles an hour. Oh, yeah. You totally revved me up for that one. <laughs> My favorite joke from Comic-Con this weekend. Okay, I hope people get this. So there was Carmen Sandiego and there was Waldo together. 
And somebody pointed out the irony of it. And I was like, oh, all we need now is a werewolf. Right? So where's Waldo? Where is Carmen Sandiego? Werewolf. It's a different where, you know? It's like not W-H-E-R-E, but W-E-R-E. So it was kind of like a, not euphemism. What's the word? Homonym. What's a homonym? Homonym. Anonym? It's not a homonym. Anonym is the opposite. I don't know. Uh, no, bro, you lost me on that. No, one. I got. I, listen, this is good. This is a good. Sure, joke. sure, sure, sure. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. really we'll, good. We'll, we'll let your listeners decide. No, it's it my, didn't hit it's with my me. podcast. Okay, it didn't Y'all hit laughed. with me. Y'all, everybody at the table laughed. Did you see me laughing? Yeah, you gave no. me that face. I like, was like, that was so good that I can't laugh, and I'm not gonna stroke your ego by laughing. I don't think that was that's really, what that you face misinterpreted was. that. But you're welcome. But everybody else laughed. I was supportive. I think they just laughed. As well. I was just they, supportive. They, they saw me in them tights. <laughs> he can say anything. He funny. <laughs> Where's my super suit? <laughs> oh my god, I got that so many times. So I was Mega Man at Comic Con <laughs> this year, and it's a sky blue suit. I had on blue like tube socks, blue forearms, blue uh, do rag for the helmet. And then, like, blue shorts, like, covering up the, like, boxer genital butt region. He needed it. And I had a cast. (laughs) I had a... (laughs) I put a pillow on my forearm to, like, buff it up so it looked like the cannon blaster. Uh I kept hearing people say, where's my super suit? And I was like, why why are people saying that? Like, who are they talking to? I didn't know anybody was talking to me until it got to the fourth person who said it. And uh, I didn't say anything. And I asked you about it. I was like, where's that from? Because I know I heard it somewhere. I just can't think of like who said it. I thought Incredibles. So I was like, yeah, Incredibles. And I was only thinking of like the main people. I was like, the husband didn't say that. And then you told me that it was Frozone. Frozone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Frozone. And so I, I found a dude who said it uh, because I was like, I don't want to think I was being an asshole. So I walked up to him. I was like, hey, was that you that said like, where's my super suit? He was like, yeah, I, I didn't think you like heard me. I was like, oh. I heard you. I just didn't know you were talking to me. I'm Mega Man. And it took for somebody, like, I heard that a few times. And uh, we, we ended up talking. He said, like, oh, man, I'm sorry. I was like, dude, let be apologizing for it. Like, right. Yeah, it was just, I didn't get it. Now I know that people probably think that I'm frozen on. Because it right. happened a couple more times. People were like, where's my super suit? I was like, ha ha, yeah. But I hold on my blaster hand and hopefully threw him off. But anyways, yeah, that was what happened. Um. Well, this is... Uh something positive positive people and uh, I do have to say that uh, after my diagnosis there was a brief period where it was an absolute like hell for me tell me more um, I started doing research oh I thought she was about to say drugs no no I was in a, so my gynecologist after she it, it, like did the test she was like I'm really afraid for you and I'm like what are you talking about she's like you're already in a rocky mental state and I have a feeling this is going to send you over the edge and I'm like well you're not wrong um, she thought I was going to do something really intense. Um, but I ended up doing, I ended up Googling uh, resources and things like that. And I found your podcast and honestly, listening to everybody else's stories really helped me kind of come to terms. Plus with my own experiences, right? I started disclosing. I was like better out than in. This is the only way I work through it. Like when I have problems, I talk about them and I kill them by talking about them until I'm like over it. And I kept disclosing. I was disclosing to my closest friends, my family. I mean, my entire family doesn't know. My mom knows. And I'll, I'll get back to that because that one's interesting. But none of my friends saw me differently. Nobody really 
point in anything else. Nobody was like, oh my God, or anything like that. Um, even when I go on dates and I start like flirting with people, when we start planning to meet, I already tell them, I disclose immediately. I'm like, hey, my time is valuable and I'm sure your time is valuable as well. So I kind of want to put this out on the table for you. Um, I have HSV1 genital, generally. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions you might have or if you need any further information, I can guide you to the correct resources and stuff like that. But I don't want this being a shock in any capacity if at all down the line and you're like, well, damn, now I just wasted my time with somebody I'm not going to sleep with or interact sexually with or whatever. And I have not had a single person turn me down. Like, it's it's been rewarding to say the least to have people who are like yeah cool so how about them dolphins <laughs> you know like just keep the conversation going even in sex work I really thought it was going to be a hindrance and I have had no issues um I disclose right up front with any collaborator I'm going to be working with this is what's up none of them say anything I'm like cool thank you thank you so much I've had people thank me for disclosing because they're like a lot of people wouldn't even say anything. I'm like, yeah, I'm not a lot of people. You know, I would want somebody to have disclosed to me in the past because I would have used preventative measures. Or I would have been like, well, tell me more about that. Like, tell me the risks involved. Tell me this. Tell me that. You know, um, my mom, however, she doesn't like to even mention it. She truly sees a shame and like you're dirty. Thing to it and she's got herpes as well she's got oral HSV and she's like oh I have a little herpes and I'm like oh man mom you have a, you're having a herpes outbreak and she's like shh don't say it so loud like I can't talk about it out loud I can't my grand god forbid my grandparents find out <laughs> like I and I tell her I've gotten into fights with her I'm like why do you talk about it in this manner like you're just adding to the stigma, which could have really put me in a bad place if I was in a city or a state or shit. If I was back in Cuba and this happened to me, I would have been like the nasty woman, like the goddamn witch in the house at the end of the block. I would have been isolated, ostracized and just deemed like, yeah, like gross. And it's, it's taken a lot of fighting mentally and I, like it's made me learn that I am tougher than I look. And I can go through emotional trials and tribulations and manage them much better than I ever really expect. But my, my issue with my mom is pretty prominent. Because I want her to kind of... I want to break her social stigma of it. I really do. You know? You know we can't save everybody. Yeah, but it's my mother. I know. We can't save everybody. I know. <laughs> yeah, but I also don't want to live like that. Yeah. You know, I want to be able to tell my mom, hey, mom, I'm having a herpes outbreak. Make me feel a little better. Like, tell me something encouraging. Yeah. But she didn't have that. So, like, you can't expect for her to be at a better place than you are. Not better. Better wasn't the right word. To be at the place of willingness like you are. Like, right. I would love to be able to go to my mom for support because, like, 
your mom has always been this thing to She's you. She's my best friend, and yeah. And now you want for her to be this thing to you in mm-hmm. this particular way. Right. But it's something that she hasn't had given to her in the way. So it sounds like you're hoping to be able to give that to her and be that for her so that she can also be that to you. And I love that you've told your mom because I think that people be sleeping on the power of telling someone who you trust, know, love, and like. Right. Like people will always talk to me about herpes and they'll always tell me how good they feel afterwards. And it's like, I don't know you. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, I'm very low risk. Like imagine how you would feel telling someone that, you know, love and trust and have a history with and seeing that they don't treat you any differently. Like I know that I'm low risk because I'm a stranger on the Internet that people might feel a little bit of a connection to. But at the end of the day, you know. If you have to compare telling me to telling your sibling, telling mm-hmm. a parent, and if you get the uh, the same reaction, if you get no response from me, if I'm just like, all right, well, take your medication, like that doesn't carry near as much significant weight as somebody in your life who you value them. Like you don't really value me as a person. People value me for what this podcast is initially at least Mm -hmm. that's how you found me whereas the connections that you have with your family friends partners that's the connection comes first and then like you get to tell them hey i'm dealing with this thing and then they're like oh well let me support you their support means way more than what mine can ever mean because mine is designed to get you to a place where you will talk to your mom about it or you will tell that close best friend Right. And that you're struggling and that you just need some support because they can they can validate your identity much better than I can. Because all I got to go off of is your social media profile pictures, if you even had that. Right. Yeah, no, it's a lot. Um, I haven't disclosed to my dad. Why mom, not dad? My dad and I's relationship. Well, remember, I said I have daddy issues. Our relationship is tumultuous. Okay. Um, I love him to pieces and I've forgiven him for all the shit when I was a kid. Um, I, I'm also a strong believer in, um, had things not been the way they were, I would not be who I am today. I have no regrets. Not even one letter. No regrets. I thought it, but I wouldn't. No regrets. Not for the podcast. But I don't, um, I don't, keep up with him on a regular basis. I call him on birthdays, holidays, and maybe randomly throughout the year just to say hi. Mm-hmm. He'll do the same. Um, I don't... I saw him for the first time this past holiday season after five years. I was about to say, you... What? <laughs> after five years of not being in each other's like okay. physical space. Okay. Um, my dad has no idea that I'm queer. My dad has no idea that I have herpes. He doesn't really know much about my life. I keep him on a need-to-know basis. Mm, okay. Yeah. I've barely told him the trips that I take back home when I'm there. Um, so that's... But that all falls into the whole, like, stigma. Which is funny because he had hepatitis. Mm. And I'm like, you're a dirty bastard. <laughs> but it was because he's he, he's a he's a drug addict and all that stuff. So all of that kind of fell through. So here when we talk about dirty, when we say, you said dirty bastard, what did you say? But it's a stigma. Yeah, yeah, right. no. I, I want to make sure to just be clear on that. Like, I don't want people thinking that we're using dirty out of context. No, no, no. Yeah. He, he, like, when you're a drug addict, there's a lot of stuff that goes down. I, I know. 
Right. Yeah. So it, it was, and also it's my dad, so I can talk about him like you that. Can, you sure can. But that's, that's part of that stigma thing we were talking about. Like, I don't want to disclose that to my dad. I don't feel like my dad has any interaction in my life enough to even have to know that that, or deserve that, right. Mm -hmm. Deserve that transparency of me with him. Um, but yeah, overall my, from thinking that my sexual life was over, that I wasn't going to find anybody or be loved because of it out the goddamn window, completely out the window. And I do have moments where I'm like, how would my life be otherwise? You know? Oh, one of the things that I have a concern with, we talked about this briefly, um, play parties. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Well, be amongst a plethora of other reasonings where I have, uh, not issues, but concerns about being at play parties. One of them is being, having to disclose to a large group to put yourself in that space to a large group that of possible people you've never even met. Yeah. And that's a little nerve wracking, mm-hmm. you know? So play parties are all different. Uh, this has been a question that's come into my inbox and from people, partners as well. And one thing that is consistent is that if there is a play party in place, one, a lot of the people there already know each other. Like you're inviting, it's more intimate. Um, so the conversation may be a little bit different among people who are known. And then you might have to tell a couple of different people if you're wanting to play with them. There's one. Another thing is that there's like a debrief, like an elevator pitch beforehand. You go around in a circle, um, introduce yourself. Like what are some of your don'ts or some of your Consents, yeah. needs? Yeah. Consents. Mm-hmm. Oh, you already know that. <laughs> um, but like, you know, there's a way you kick the door in. Hey, everybody, I have herpes. Right. And announce it to the whole living room and everybody's like, all right. Yeah, cool. So what? Right. Right. Um, I've struggled with this as well, personally, because I am someone who is interested in exploring group play. And one of the things that like scares me is and this is some people pleasing thing that is happening. It's like if someone is seeing playing with me, then it might be assumed that that person has herpes and then no one's going to want to play with them. In that Never way. even thought of that. Well, you're not like open and out there about it. So like right. me being, I want to say it's like sex education, sexual health, celebrity status, having herpes. Like I'm a celebrity among people with herpes who know that I have herpes. Right. And outside of that, like, in an area play space like there are people who know because i'm open about it i Mm -hmm. talk about it um like going to an event so for instance i was at sex down south and i had this thought of like okay well if i'm playing with this person are other people going to also assume that they have herpes and then not want to play with them and it's like oh well i would hate to be the reason that someone doesn't get played with right because they're seen having sex with me and i think that that's kind of where a little bit of my own resistance with like public play or like uh, exploring exhibitionism or even um doing uh doing anything like what's the word i'm looking for exhibitionism or like in like a setting where it would be completely acceptable to hook up you know like at a conference type thing or Mm -hmm. whatever um yeah it's like that like if they see you come out of my hotel room 
right? And I've, I've thought about these things and I think that, and I know that it keeps me from taking action in the direction that I want to explore and, and play around in. So there's, it's so interesting, like how people will even look to me and be like, oh yeah, you're over the stigma or whatever, but it just shows up for me in ways that if you're not open about it, you will never have to think about. It. And it's super like lonely to have to think through because nobody can relate or they've never had these thoughts before. Right. And I look weird because I'm just not doing a thing that I should be doing, but I'm not doing that thing. And I want to be doing that thing. But I have this thought in my head of like, this is for the greater good of the environment. So let me just not do that. Right. It's weird. No, I get it. That's that's actually pretty cool. It's slightly altruistic, which is super sweet. You know, I get on it's a people, humanitarian effort in you. I get on people about that though, like people who only date people who have herpes, for instance. It's like they have this attachment of their identity to being the kind of person who is preventing transmission to other people, and it's like, okay, well, what makes you think you're any better than anybody else? Because you're just choosing. Not even out oh, of choice. Oh, I never thought about that. See? Well, I haven't experienced... You have the, the the open floor to be able to experience those yeah. kind of personalities. And even the people who do it have never thought about well, it. Well, isn't that way. kind of like the the whole thing behind positive singles? That, yes. Like, if everybody has it, we don't have to talk about it. Right. Right? Positive singles has a handful of... It, dozen of other issues well but, it's funny yeah. because i i sought out to join positive singles and then it was like 50 bucks a month and i'm like what the fuck it's what it, i don't know why it popped up like that it was like a monthly thing and i was like oh it, Wait a it minute. should have been something for like three months i'm on there and uh i have like my my profile is like here to just give support at this point like mm-hmm. before i was dating because i was resistant to being on there because i thought no person who is going to seriously be in a relationship with me is going to be on positive singles because like that's typically where your starting point is not even the hookups people go there looking for relationships Mm -hmm. but i think it's more out of avoidance so that they don't have to um deal with the herpes diagnosis they don't have to ask about it yeah um and so because of that, I think a lot of people bypass compatibility, uh, religion, politics. Yeah, okay. Because the priority is, well, we both have herpes. Mm-hmm. And you're accepting, I'm accepting, we don't have to think about it. And right. like, you won't even think about the fact that like, okay, you're super far away. You have to spend thousands of dollars a year to see each other. Yeah. Or you might not want kids, but the other person does. And it, it, there's a lot of elements there that people just completely overlook or bypass altogether because oh well we both have herpes so i say all that to say like i got back on there thinking okay well maybe you know i'm my own internalized stigma is believing that i should only like date out in the wild if someone happens to have herpes cool if they happen to be cool with it and they don't have it cool but i just eliminated a complete segment of opportunities for myself to find someone to be in a relationship with right and i'm doing the same thing that i'm telling people not to do it's just the inverse of that right so i'm telling people don't only date people who have herpes put yourself out there right. and here i am like i only date people who aren't on this dating uh, uh site for yeah. people with herpes so I, I'm, i've tried i put myself out there but the thing is i keep running into the same issue of like i'm it's not that i have herpes it's the fact that i'm open about having herpes 
And you make it uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. And again, going back to what I said earlier about people having to protect themselves emotionally, like there's a lot of avoidance there. So my intentionality triggers people's avoidance. If I'm like, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. There's fight or flight. Looks like. Yes. But typically it's flight. Right. <laughs> right. I, yeah, no, I don't, I don't have any quarrels with that. I mean, if somebody wants to, it's, it's the same thing about my time is valuable. But yeah. if I'm choosing to spend the time with you, I'm choosing to carve out time out of my life for somebody. It's, it's somebody who's special to me. Like somebody who means this trip. Like, I'm, I carved out time for us to hang out, you know? Um, so if somebody is like, if about the herpes or doesn't want to talk about it, doesn't want to acknowledge it because it's too much to think about and there's too many levels of it and whatever the case might be, there's no reason for me to be hanging out with that person. You know, I have my own priorities and I have my own mental health to worry about and I am not responsible for other people's emotions. Oh, you, you're just responsible for feeding that inner child. Yes. Yeah. See how we brought that back for a second? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> here for it. Um, but yeah, closing out the whole um, group thing and disclosing that, it's all going to be situational, you know? And it's subjective to the experience. It is. Very. And I, I run this podcast and like, yes, I encourage people to talk about their sexual health. I'll, I never tell people you need to do this or what to do, but here's like some things to think about. Um, there are people who just don't disclose, who just don't talk about um, their status in these parties. And like, I want to say that like, just because you only date people who have herpes does not make you better than someone who might not disclose their status right. to somebody. Um, I think that there's a gap that needs to be bridged and understanding that this isn't about disclosure or right versus wrong i think it's about access to information the access to the information of how to navigate that discussion um the survey results are coming in even as i speak now again www.spfpp.org slash survey and you can participate i want to run this survey through the end of 2023 and get as many responses as we can so that we have accurate information at a quantitative data level to be able to speak to people's experiences. But one of the things that came up is that a lot of people who don't disclose don't disclose because they don't know how to disclose. And they also, um, yeah, they, they, they don't have the language or the how to of talking about their sexual health to partners and that's ridiculous given the amount of information that we have but typically these people don't know that that's an issue and so again something positive we advocate for integrating these lived experiences and uh, sex education resources which includes being able to talk about sex and communicate about sexual health um so all of that just to say like just try it. Here's, yeah, like here's the information. Shoot your shot. Shoot your shot. What, what do you have to lose? Well, that's the thing. People feel like they got, they, they're going to like lose their lives or their identity just for initiating this conversation. You know, there's a lot of people who have been rejected several times in various ways. And then there's people who have gone on to get that one yes that leads to a marriage and a family. And uh, me falling to the wayside and looking up five years later and seeing a person in an engagement photo or 
after having a kid and being married, I'm like, man, who is this person? I don't know this person. And then I go through our messages and I see the last messages that we had were, how do I disclose to this person? I'm so nervous and I don't know what I'm going to do. So, yeah. Obviously, I'll Why'd you get so aggressive when you were saying that? Because it happens so often. <laughs> like, I've been running this for like six and a half years Are now. you bitter by it? I'm a little bit bitter, yeah. Okay. I'm a little bitter. That's but, what it came off as. But, like, I, I share this with passion to say, like, it happens. Right. Like, there are people who do, you know, they stumble through here. They're miserable, suicidal, depressed. They are, you know, for the first time saying some things out loud, having some realizations. And then, you know years go by and they're like Mary I'm irrelevant to them and that's what I I that's why I do this work because this has to happen or I'm sorry I have to become irrelevant to you in order for you to live your life that is essentially like what this comes down to your relationship to herpes I don't want to say I have to become irrelevant that that did not sound the way that I intended for it to sound but the herpes itself has to become irrelevant and this is a pathway to making herpes irrelevant to your life because it's showing you all these different experiences, all of these different representations of people who have herpes so that you can see yourself outside of what that box is that you close yourself into thinking that you're only worthy of so little and less than the bare minimum. But the reality is when you see enough experiences outside of that bubble, outside of that box, you start to fall into your own form of what you feel you deserve and that's what something positive for positive people is at this point how can people find your uh only fans uh well just start with my instagram and kind of get a little welcome there and see if if you like the, the goods I, I was just trying to like let you plug yourself oh it's uh <laughs> it's just basically forward slash uh bet menu meow i i don't know how to spell any of this so you got to give us more than that. oh uh <laughs> bet like betty b-e-t-t-e menu french for cat m-i-n-o-u oh and then meow yeah m-e-o-w i 100 so where else do you want people to find um follow you can you? find me on instagram i'm pretty active like very active on there. You know this. Um, it's uh, just at BetMenu, B-E-T-T-E-M-I-N-O-U. Cool. Um, Is there anything else you got going on you want people to know about? Uh, <laughs> if you go to New Orleans, spend one day on bourbon, get it out of your system, and don't do it again. I'm talking about you. Hey, that's New Orleans. I don't know. But <laughs> I, I, I'm a part of it, you know? Um uh, yeah, I don't really have anything else. Um, I've got a lot of good stuff in the works, really great collaborations coming up that I'm very, very excited about. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay. Do I need to delete New Orleans? Nah. Okay. All right. So I have everything I need to delete, and it's just where you said your name. Yeah. Got it. All right www.spfpp.org slash survey. If you have not taken the survey, please do. Remember, there is a small blue box on the right side of your screen. Once you click through and uh, start to access the consent form, you press that blue box button and then it takes you to the consent form. You agree or whatever the button is that it says to do next, depending on your device. And then you go through the survey. 
Um, I think the survey takes no more than 20 minutes unless you have detailed responses that you want to give for some of the questions. Give us as much information as you're willing to, because this is what I take to these conferences and these workshops. And I speak to this and it's getting to a place where people are beginning to include some of our experiences and curriculums. I've had uh, two organizations reach out for me to review their curriculum, specifically when it comes to herpes stigma. And I'm able to put input in there based off of the information that you all are giving me, not just what I remember from podcast episodes and conversations that I'm having with people with herpes. So this is very important. In the perfect world, I would have 2,000 survey responses, and I believe that we are on our way there. Um, but again, I need your help. So please share this survey. Uh, take this survey. If you're in the support group, like tell these admins, tell your favorite social media accounts, because I don't fuck with a lot of them either. So that's also important to note. So I'm not telling them to post this. Um, you can do that. And if they don't fuck with me, you'll find out who they are. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. That's it, y'all. Uh, please make donations and review the podcast. I've not gotten any reviews in at this point, years, I don't know what's up. I always ask for them. People just don't review the podcast. So if you can, please take the time to go um, on whatever your favorite listening platform is, except Spotify. I don't think Spotify allows you to, but just leave a review, you know, let people know that you find this to be useful, how you find it useful. Um, but you can always make a donation, cash out, Venmo, PayPal, or you can join Patreon at www.patreon.com slash SPFPP. All right. And last thing, uh, men's group. Uh, it should be by the time this episode releases, it'll be out. Um, if you're a man who has herpes and you're interested in joining that support group, um, I will have a paywall for that. Uh, I don't know what this is going to look like. I think that what I'm leaning towards is doing maybe one free one a month. But then for you to be involved with the weekly groups, um, that'll be through Patreon. I'm figuring out what that's going to look like, and I'll have that taken care of by October 1st. Let's see, this week, next week, podcast. Oh, man, it will have already been out. This, Yeah, if you want to be in a men's group, you got to reach out to me. It's already up at this point. I'm speaking it into existence, talking in uh, future tense. Um, but yeah, that's all I got for y'all now. And yeah, till next time.